0: I wonder what it was like to be there in John chapter 6 as these events unfolded, and to be in the crowd, and I'm like many of you, have you ever been to church and the person gets long-winded that's speaking and you're hungry? I know that's not happened in the last two years since I've been here. And you know, I was looking on the website the other day, and I noticed, I keep track, I try to keep track of how long sermons you know, Last week was 46 minutes. Wow, that's a long time. I'm, try, I'm going to try not to do that. Now, I know maybe they've regulated the clock today and pushed it back to make me think that it's uh, later than what it is. But, um, you know, I, I wonder what it was like, what it would have been like to have lived in the time of Jesus and to have the reputation that Jesus had— go before the crowds, a time before the news media, a time before the press corps, a time before the internet, a time before the email a time when things just seemed a lot more simpler a time when miracles happened before people's eyes and people were moved a time before fog machines (laughs) a time before advanced technology a time when God showed up in what they perceived to be amazing ways, and they left those moments challenged, changed, provoked. They left those moments wanting to follow Jesus because Jesus showed up in an unusual way, in a way that they did not anticipate. How many times have I sat, I can't tell you how many times I've sat, in deacons meetings or in committee meetings, uh, whether in the church or in, secular, in the secular field, whether it was serving on uh, the board for United Way or whatever it might be, and listen to people, and, and, and you know these type of people, people that sit in those board meetings and you have a vision or you have a dream of what could be, and they dash those dreams. This will never happen. How many of you work for somebody that says when you come to them with an ambition or with a dream, that's never going to happen. It's never going to come to fruition. These people that are dream dashers. Thank God for people that don't listen to the status quo. And thank God for people who have dreams and do whatever it takes to bring them to fruition. To birth something new. Amazing. About uh, 12 years ago, my wife and I were told, kind of, that um, we probably would not be able to have children. And um, that was tumultuous, uh, I think probably more for her than it was for me, uh, because I, I had been in youth ministry and I know the way students grow up. And I'm like, when it came to naming names for potential children, every time I would name one, she was like, oh no, I had a client with that name. And then every time she would have, oh no, I can't do that. I had a parishioner alone, we can't do that. We don't want to, you know, and you have these visions of what uh, that name brings. And um, so we kind of, uh, in our own right, decided, you know what, uh, if, if God doesn't bless us with children, then we'll just allow the church uh, to become. Uh, that integral family. And so, uh, you know, we committed to go through the hoops or whatnot. We prayed about the hoops. And for each family, it's different. What hoops you determined to go through, how much technology you're willing to use. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, throw shadows on that. What I will say is this, that when we had given up trying and just kind of resolved ourselves that we would not have children, then she got pregnant. And we didn't even want to believe it. I mean, you know, and I'll tell you how it happened, and I'll, I'll, well, you know how it happened, but I'll tell you, (laughs) Woo! I'll tell you, uh, some of you are getting ready to have heart palpitations. I'm not going there, uh, but uh, I remember my wife had come home uh, from work, she worked with Catholic Charities in New Orleans, and I noticed over a stint of time, she was just conked out on the couch, and I'm like, it was after Katrina, and I thought, Hurricane Katrina, and I thought, She's depressed. I'm like, I'm like, you need to go to see a therapist. I mean, like, you, I just, I told her, you, and you know, you need to do this. And uh, so I thought, well, you know what? And so I'm googling. You know how some of you Google and you Google symptoms? That's a scary thing. And one of those symptoms that came up was pregnancy. I'm like, how did that happen? Oh, okay. And uh, so we were there, and I said, uh, I said, Tabby, I said, um, have you ever thought that perhaps you're pregnant? No, there's no way. Well, <laughs> well it could be. Um, and so, uh, in result, I go to the drugstore. I buy uh, the error-proof test, okay? Uh, and I didn't buy one. I bought two packages with two in it, okay? She took all of them. And she was very private. She don't let me, you know, I don't, I don't know what goes on in the bathroom with those pregnancy tests. But, I mean, she was like, I don't believe this. I can hear this coming from the restroom. And I'm like, I believe you're pregnant. Now, nine months later, eight months later, Anderson is born. And he was such a blessing to our lives, a miracle child. And what I want to say to you today is, um, we never gave up hope. We accepted what we thought would be our reality, but we continued to dream, and we took the bumps that may come. And a lot of us, listen, you have to take the bumps that come. But I want you to understand, when you look at Luke, or in John chapter 6... We see a people that have been listening to Jesus. They're following him because he is a healing person. And they've witnessed this firsthand. And so they follow him along the way. And it comes to the part of the day where people get hungry about this time. And our stomachs start to rumble. And so he asks a disciple, what are we going to do to feed them? And what's the first thing a disciple says? How are we going to afford it? What's the first thing that people say in the church? How are we going to afford it? Because money ends up being our motivator. Let me tell you something. Jesus is bigger than the U.S. Treasury. Jesus is bigger than Fort Knox. And when Jesus wants to move in a certain way in people's lives, it is going to happen. Because with Christ, everything that we have ventured and deemed impossible becomes impossible possible and that's the beauty of following a holy god and that is the beauty of following an all-powerful god who has as i continue to say who has put the sun and moon and stars in space who has created you who has put you in this place this morning and who has hope for you if there's one takeaway from this story the significant point that i want you to remember today is this God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Because this venture of feeding 5,000 men, as the Bible says, not counting women and children, is a daunting task, a year's worth of wages. And Jesus asks this because He already has a plan in mind, and that should clue us into something. God has a plan for our lives long before we ever come to its realization. So if you're praying in order to inform God of something, I'm here to tell you He already knows it. Therefore, don't be worried when you fall short or when you sin or when you do wrong. He wants you to confess to him, but don't live in fear that you're letting him in on something that he doesn't already know. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about us. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And in this story where it seemed that it was impossible, financially too difficult, how many of you have been in a church where they seem to say, finances, it's just too difficult for us to do that. Or in a company, it's just too difficult for us to do that. And everything is about cost per man hour. And there's different ways to interpret that or different ways to spell that out. But every company I've ever worked for, it's always about cost per man hour. Reducing the cost per man hour leads to greater profit see that works in our economics but in God's economics anything can happen namely anything can happen that is assured in the purpose and in the will of him who has sent us to this time and in this moment so then another of his disciples Andrew Simon Peter's brother speaks up and he says here is a boy who with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then he asks this question, but how far will they go among so many? How far will they go among so many? Verse 9 of the passage. And what I'm here to tell you is, they will go as far as God wants them to. How many times do we question God and we say, you know what, I'm just not good enough to do this, or I'm not holy enough to do this, or my life is not added up. And as Lisa shared this morning, you see, her testimony is not about necessarily the brokenness. Her testimony is about the fulfillment that has come through Christ. Your testimony is not about the shame. It's not about the rubble of your lives, although that's a part of your story. But your real story is how God has used those broken pieces to redeem you. And I love what she said because it's so true. You see, in this life, God does not want to fix, as in her mother's case, a broken vase. He doesn't want to fix your broken vase. He doesn't want to mend it or glue it or make it look like it once did. He wants to do away with that old vase and give you something brand spanking new. Because He's not interested in working with what you've got. He's interested in giving you Himself. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. God works in ways that we can't envision. Sometimes we are so stuck in the here and now with what we know on a day-to-day basis that we don't venture to entertain how far will things go among so many. I like to think in this story we have this boy. Five barley loaves and two fish. That might be enough food for me. Five barley loaves and two grilled pieces of salmon. Let's just put it in simple terms. Where is this boy's mother? Where is this boy's father? You would think that if they were in the crowd with him, that they would present themselves. And after all, this boy is getting called up to be with the one that everybody is enamored with and following, this Jesus who has healed. And yet the Bible does not say anything about the parents or guardians or even this boy's friends. So I like to think to myself, I like to assume the best. Some of you would get onto me about assuming, but I like to assume the best, and I'll just assume that Mom was too busy to come that day. She was dealing with her other six to eight children, which many of you, uh, many of you can relate to, growing up or whatnot. But in this moment, as this boy with no name makes himself available, can you imagine the pride? Of his mother. For all time in history, they never, you see, we never know what's gonna be recorded. We never know if we are going to be a person of significance. And see, the significance in this story is not the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples about whether they can afford to do it. The significant one in this story is the boy who made himself available. We don't even know his name, but he's a person of significance. Because God chose to use him. He planned it, as the Bible said, even before he asked the disciples how this was going to be performed, he chose to use this boy. This boy did not wake up on that morning thinking, I'm going to be a person of significance today. This boy packed his lunch to come and follow and hear from the healer. And as a result of listening and honing in on a need, he made himself available and he offered what he had. Can you imagine what story he had when he went home? Mama, today the healer, Jesus, used what you gave me, what you packed for me for lunch to feed over 5,000 people. And not only that, Mom, but did you know, not only did he feed 5,000 people after he blessed the fish and after he blessed the bread, but afterwards, after everybody had everything they wanted to eat, after they had dined on the buffet that he provided, there were 12 baskets left over. And all you gave me was this little sack. That boy became significant. Because he became the instrument or the vessel through which God used. How far will they go among so many? It will go as far as God wants them to go. How far will you go with God? You will go as far as you're willing to go and be used by him. We always think rationally and logically but if we dare to think beyond the possible and we venture into the realm of the divine, namely the mind of God, we can do any a number of things that we never asked or imagined. So as we continue to grow here at First Baptist and as we're thinking, what does our future look like? And gosh, do we need to build a building or whatnot? And you always have the people that say, well, we're not going to be able to afford it. Let, it. let me clue us in on something. God has all the money he needs. And if it is his will, it will happen. We just have to be willing to make ourselves available. We have to be willing to venture and to dream bigger than we've Ever dream? Listen, you may not have the relationship that you want to with your spouse this morning. You may have thought about throwing in the towel and being done with it. You may not be proud of the decisions that your child has made, or your grandchild has made, or a co worker has made, or your boss has made. Here's the reality you're in your place for a reason. Are you using your position? your place in this world as a vessel for his work. Don't ever think to yourself that something can't be done. Don't ever think that someone could never have their life transitioned. Don't ever give up on anyone. Why? Because God has never, ever, nor will he ever give up on you. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. And even if you don't have a name, even if you don't have recognition, he still can use you as his vessel, just like the boy in the story. How far will they go among so many? And are we willing to be used by God? A boy without a name is used as God's vessel to feed thousands Because he was willing to use what he had, and he made himself available. So the question today is, are you willing to use what you have for his purpose? And are you willing to make yourself available? Notice I didn't say... ...that you had to be a great speaker. Notice I didn't say that you had to have a lot of money. Notice I didn't say that you had to look a certain part... ...or have the right friends or have the right relationship. Because God's not interested in any of that rubbish. God's interested in you. He's interested in our story... ...because He doesn't want us to leave our story as our own. He does not want us to write our introduction. He does not want us to write the body of uh, of our story. He doesn't even want us to write our conclusion... He just simply wants us to show up and let him pin our lives. He is the author of our story. And the beauty of it is that when our story becomes his story, we make history. That's what history is. H-I-S, his story. That's history. It's all about God. Period. Period. Are we willing to be used by him? Or are we willing to make ourselves available? Because ultimately in verse 11, when we make ourselves available, people will have all they need and all they need they want. Look in verse 11. It says, Jesus said in verse 10, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And then verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. You see, I think in my logical mind, I'm like number two that he passes the bread to. There's five barley loaves and two fish. I'm taking one of them fish and I'm taking three pieces of bread. That leaves all the rest for the other 4,999 men, let alone the women and children. Because when I get hungry, I get mad. When I get hungry, I get irritable. Just ask the staff, When we have a staff meeting on Monday that runs longer than about 1 o'clock. About an hour and a half is all I can handle this staff. It gets to be 1 o'clock, it's time to go to lunch. Let's end it. We've got to go to lunch. That's right. And I'm not a pleasant person when I get hungry. <laughs> When we make ourselves available, people will have all they want. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. In verse 12, when they had all, or when they all had enough to eat. See, there's no other way to explain this story other than saying a miracle. God. Performed a miracle and when we look at this story and we think to ourselves we think gosh I wish God would show up like this you know I, I wish that we could go to a restaurant and they said they'd run out of food and all they've got is you know one hamburger and five fries and they feed the whole restaurant with it and there's 12 baskets left over and we're just amazed at the bounty that's left over all because this miracle was performed and see the thing is We always are praying for the miracle that we've seen. We're never anticipating how God may show up in unknown ways. And the beauty of Scripture is there's only one burning bush. There's only one time that he fed 5,000. And there's other stories where he fed 4,000. But here's the reality. There's one time where a boy shows up with five loaves of bread and two fish and turns the culture upside down. And so if you and I are only praying about the predictability of God to act in our story in a way He's acted in history, then we're not believers. Because to believe in God in the realm of possibilities that the divine holds is to subscribe ourselves to endless possibilities. God works in mysterious ways. We are never going to be able to explain it. I don't care how many degrees you have doesn't matter how much education you have, because guess what? It's not about degrees, it's not about studying, it is about surrendering ourselves to Him, allowing Him to use what we have and making ourselves available. And miracles happen. The other thing I want us to know today is miracles happen every day in this world. Every morning you get up and your wife is nice to you, or your mom is nice to you, that's a miracle based on what you did the day before. Every time the sun rises and every time the sun sets, every time you're allowed to go to the beach and sit and enjoy the beauty of the rising of the sun, that is a miracle. Quit, quit pushing God away out of the realm of possibilities. God is not a crutch to believe in. He is the sovereign authority over the entire universe. And here's the beauty of it. He's not so up there that he's not in here. He's not so up there and high and mighty that he's not here and there and there and there. And in your heart and in my heart, and in our hearts, do we have available hearts? Available? Are we avail, an available vessel to be used by Him? We should never put conditions on God. We should never put conditions on people because God determines the parameters of what is going to happen. I keep instructing us and, and, and teaching us and pushing us, never give up on anyone. We want, listen, we want everybody in Elizabethan, no matter how smart they are, no matter how rich they are or poor they are or anything else, no matter how got together they are, No matter how depraved or evil that we perceive them to be, how lost they might be, how drugged out, stressed out, oppressed, depressed, and everything else. Listen, we never give up on them. We want them to know that First Baptist will stand with them, that First Baptist will love them. Because you know what? God loved us so much that He gave. He made Himself available. He offered what He had. What did He have? He offered the best that He had. He offered his son. He is one and only son, as we talked about last week. And we find out that if we will believe in him, we will never die. But we will have eternal life. See, the the horrible thing about it is uh, you're guaranteed an eternity. We are guaranteed an eternity. It's all about our destination. Are we going to live with him? Are we going to live apart from him? And I want to say this to a Mother's Day crowd, because there are two Sundays that people attend church more than any other time. One is Easter, and the other is Mother's Day. And the reason we come on Mother's Day is because we want to honor our mother. The reason I'm in a three-piece suit today, even though my mother's not here, is because my mother likes me to be in a three-piece suit when I'm up in worship. She was here last Sunday. I didn't have a tie on. Uh, She didn't really like that that much. So out of honoring my mother... I'm burning up in a three-piece suit. And she tunes in later today, Mom, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing it for him. But I want to say this, that in honoring God and in honoring our mothers and in doing the very best that we can, we need to understand that God never, ever, ever gives up on people. And we want people to understand that here in this place, it is a place of safety. You don't have to know the Lord. You don't have to be on fire for Him. How we ask is you come. As you come and you warm up to the idea of the gospel and the idea of Jesus, He will change your life because He's changed many of ours. He's changed many of our lives. This morning, on this Mother's Day, as the two highest attended Sundays are Easter and Mother's Day, some of you know exactly what it's like to live life without God. And what I want you to know is that we would be amiss to let you out of this place without you knowing how much God loves you, even though you might not have surrendered to Him and even though you might not be pursuing Him. And as I said, our eternity, we either spend eternity with Him or we spend eternity apart from Him. And I want to ask you this this morning. As you look at your life, those of you who are not really involved in the church, you've not committed your life to Christ, how is it working for you? How's it working for you? Has your life turned out to be rosy and beautiful? And the plans that you've made, that you've orchestrated, have they led to better living? I would dare say that if we really look at our lives, both followers of Christ and non-followers of Christ this morning, all of us could share our story, and a part of our story would say this. You know, there are seasons of my life where I've lived apart in direct defiance of what I think is moral or what I think is right or what I think is true or I have fundamentally I don't really I don't really care about what God thinks. I've gone my own way and I was miserable. If you're here this morning and you're stuck in that misery and you've experienced that misery, that does not have to be the defining moment of your life. The beauty of God is He doesn't work on the spiritual economics that so many of us have bought into. You don't have to be raised in church to follow Jesus. You don't have to come to Christ as five have come to Christ at a young age and begin pursuing Him. See, because He gives this story of how He hires people to go into the vineyard. Some are hired at 6 a.m., some are hired at 9 a.m., some are hired at noon, some are hired at 3, and some are hired at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And when it comes time to pay for the day, the ones that showed up at 6 a.m. and the ones that showed up at 5 p.m. get paid the same. Now if you're like me, we grew up in church, you'll cry out, that is not fair, that is a ripoff." And it is a ripoff, and you and I, if you and I are the ones that did the hiring, if you and I you and I have the potential to do the firing, and if you and I are spending our own money, but guess what, we're not. It's his parameters, it's his way, it's his truth, his life, his ball game. He determines how it's played, and it's far more fair than anything that we could come up with, because if God were truly fair. We would always spend eternity away from Him. But because He is gracious, because He is compassionate, because He senses that there are 5,000 men that are hungry on a hillside, He decides to have compassion and do something about it. And as a result, People are filled with all they want, with all they need. Every need is met. A miracle is performed. Listen, the miracle is performed to the point that he has to run away because they are trying to capture him and make him king. Could we sense that something amazing happened on that day? But let us not forget that just as something amazing happened on that day, Something amazing can happen today. What's your story? Where has your life taken you? Can you say that you're a follower of Christ? Are you the captain of your ship? Are you the co pilot? Is the Lord in charge? Are you making yourself available to him? Are you allowing him to use what he has given you to change your life and to change others around you? Or are you like what a, what a lot of us do in the fall on Friday evenings? We bought our season tickets, or we buy our football ticket. We go. We go to the concession stand. And then we go and we sit in the crowd, we watch the band at halftime, and we are spectators. Doesn't mean it's not exciting, doesn't mean it's not exhilarating, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a big difference between being in the crowd, in the stands, and having to be on the field. Just ask the players. God's not interested in cheerleading. God doesn't want you to be a cheerleader. He doesn't want me to be a cheerleader. God's not interested in you buying a season ticket to His events. God is not interested in you sitting in the stands... Or giving your tithe to the concession stand. God is interested in you and me getting off of our duffs and getting on the field. Because on the field is where life happens. On the field is where the punches are given. On the field is where you have the potential to get hurt. But you have the amazing opportunity to be victorious. So I ask you, is it better to be in the stands or on the field? Because as exciting as it is to watch other people win, it is far more exciting when we win. And the way that you and I win is to get on the field. The way you and I get on the field is by making ourselves available. Regardless of what your reputation is, regardless of how life has treated you, You can be a player on God's team. You can win. And here's the beauty. Every opponent that we face, every one that comes against us, they will lose. What other team would you want to be on? God always wins because love always wins, because Jesus always wins, because the impossible becomes possible. When we venture to dream, when we venture to show up, and when we venture to allow Him to move in us, He determines our fate, He determines our future. It's not about your story or my story, it's about Him. Will you pray with me? God, as we come into this invitation and as we hear the song and we sing the song, turn our eyes upon Jesus. May we look to you. May we be strengthened by you and in you. And Father, if there's anyone here today in this time, in this place, that's been leading their life on their own and they recognize today, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of pretending that I'm okay. I'm tired of faking it. Today, God, I just want you. I want you. And God, who is rich in grace and mercy, comes into the midst of our lives, into the chaos and the mess that sometimes we didn't create, but that we inherited still those broken pieces. And He makes all things new. He doesn't fix us. He doesn't put a band-aid on us. He gives us a new self, namely Himself. And so today, if we're here, and we need to invite Christ in our lives, we give that opportunity. Lord, also, if there's others here who need to recommit themselves to You, maybe today they come and they say, you know what, First Baptist Church is the exact place that God has for me. And he wants me to be in this place. He wants me to flourish, to bloom where he's planted me. And God, we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to make those decisions as we seek your will, as we make ourselves available, and as we allow you to reign in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.